2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, you are also sharers of our comfort. Let's pray one more time. Lord, the word of comfort. Even speaking the word, we all have a sense of what that means and and what it speaks to our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you would comfort your people this morning. That each of us would hear your voice, your soothing voice, your gentle voice, your kind and faithful voice. And in that comfort, we might respond to you. We pray, Father, for simple revelation of the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians, as we roll on through the Scriptures. And I have to tell you, I am so looking forward to getting back to the book of Isaiah. (laughs) I really am. Scholars call Isaiah the Bible in miniature. It has 66 chapters just as the Bible has 66 books. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah deal with Israel and the law, just as does the Hebrew Scripture. And the final 27 chapters all talk about, deal with the Messiah, just as does the New Testament. Interesting parallels in that book and the entire Word of God. And through the eyes of Isaiah, we see Jesus in graphic and and stunning clarity, so much so that the book of Isaiah is actually called the fifth gospel. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. And they line up so well. In the prophecy of Isaiah, you will find the incarnation, the virgin birth, Jesus' youth in Nazareth, all of that is on display. The text of Jesus' first sermon is from Isaiah. The locale of Jesus' ministry in the Galilee is declared by Isaiah. His miracles, His suffering, His death by crucifixion, His burial in the tomb of a wealthy man, His resurrection and His ascension, even His exaltation, are all told seven centuries before any of it took place by the prophet Isaiah. And even more so, Isaiah ends by foretelling Christ's coming millennial kingdom and then the eternal kingdom to follow. So I can't wait to open up the pages of Isaiah once again. Aren't we supposed to be in 2 Corinthians now? Why introduce Isaiah at this point? Well, part of the reason is I already introduced 2 Corinthians on Wednesday night and I had to introduce something. So I figured I'd give you another book. But there's a better reason. The prophecy of Isaiah contains several books within. 
if you read it, you discover right out of the early pages the book of Emmanuel, God with us. You can read the book of burdens as God speaks through Isaiah, multiple burdens. The book of woes to the nations is all there. There's a brief book of history. But the last section of the prophecy of Isaiah is referred to often as the book of comfort. Let's look at that just for a moment. Isaiah chapter 40, what is called the book of comfort or the book of consolations. Verse 1. Comfort. O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. By the way, that's exactly what John the Baptist did. And Isaiah is indeed prophesying right there of John the Baptist. He came preceding Jesus by just a few years, clearing the way for Messiah to enter into this world. As Matthew the Gospel writer boldly stated, Matthew chapter 3 verse 3, This is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And in verse 4, Isaiah writes, let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out, and then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain. O Zion, bearer of good news, lift up your voice mightily. O Jerusalem, bearer of good news, lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. By the way, Jesus said that in Revelation twenty-two twelve, Verse 11, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And here's the point. All flesh is like grass. All flesh. We wither, we fade, and we die. And the one whose word stands forever says this after the fact, after the fading, after the dying, after the withering, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. And in his arm, he will gather the lambs. God's end game is comfort. It's comfort. It's where it's all going. It's the promise that's been made, even as the name of Noah means comfort. Though the flood would come in Noah's lifetime, yet through Noah this world would understand, would receive comfort. There would come a day of salvation because God saw fit even through the flood to protect the line of humanity all the way to Jesus. 
You ever thought about that? The grace of the flood? That in protecting Noah, God was then able to save all of those who came before the flood who would not have been saved had Jesus never come. He protected Noah so that the line of man would continue and through that line ultimately Jesus Christ would come into the world, die on the cross, and provide redemption for all those before the flood who had died in faith, died in belief. Comfort. Comfort is the point. And 2 Corinthians is a book of comfort. It is a letter of comfort. I was thinking as I studied through this a couple years ago, a young man came up to me and and asked me what my main word was for the day. I said, what do you mean my main word? Now, what's the primary, like, because there's always something that you hone in on. What what is the the main word? And I asked him why, and he said, because my mom offered to pay me a dollar every time you say it. (laughs) And I just have to write it down every time you say that word, and I get a dollar for that. And I was thinking as I looked at this, man, if he chose comfort this morning, he would be a billionaire by 10 (laughs) o'clock. Comfort. Paul uses that word over 30 times. In this letter. Far more than any other letter he would write. And ironically, the same people to whom Paul is writing this letter of comfort are the ones who have been causing him discomfort. And distress and disturbance basically dissing him all over the place. But he writes to them with comfort. And it has been a conflicting, contentious road for Paul and the church at Corinth. I direct you to Wednesday night's teaching to see how we got from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. I will tell you this much because we did take some time to introduce it on Wednesday night. It was a year and a half, roughly, in between these two letters. And in that short year and a half, Paul paid a painful visit to Corinth. And then after that painful visit, though originally he had planned to come back through Corinth, he decided not to because he didn't want to come to them in sorrow again. So he wrote them what would be a painful letter that we don't have. We don't have record of except that Paul refers to it. A painful letter. And now, after all of that and all of the problems that they've gone through, Paul writes back to them in 2 Corinthians and it is a letter of comfort. You see, Paul loved this people far too much to cut them off. Though I would imagine the thought ran through his mind at times. Sick and tired of this, done with all of their conflicting, argumentative behavior. I just go to the other churches. We've got all these churches in Asia. We can do fine right there. But no, Paul sticks with it. As we said Wednesday night, he does not pivot. But he stays with the truth. He stands on the truth. And of all the churches planted by the Apostle, this one remains. To this day. There has always been a church at Corinth. Over 2,000 years, there has always been a gathering of believers in that region, in that area, on the Peloponnesian Peninsula, a church at Corinth. And so now as we come to this letter, Paul's tone changes from conflict to comfort. There are still a few moments where he defends his apostleship. He has to trying to help them understand the source from which these words comes. The Apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit inspiring this, which is why I believe we have 2 Corinthians, because this is the inspired Word of God. But it comes in the form of comfort. Paul now seeks to comfort his brothers and his sisters, just as 
Just as through Isaiah, God first brought burdens and woes and challenges, and then He brings comfort. And so that's another parallel and why I started out with Isaiah this morning. He sends comfort to Israel at the last. But Father God, as a good father, disciplines His children, expects things out of His children, calls His children to right behavior, but also brings comfort to them. I remember, and I think I've shared with you before, I remember spankings as a child vividly. I remember the sound of the snapping of the belt as my dad walked down the hallway. And truly, the only reason my dad used the belt was because he knew if he used his hand, he'd knock me into next week. I remember that. But let me tell you what I really remember most about those disciplinary actions when my father applied the Board of Education to the seat of learning. I remember after the spanking, my dad pulling me up into his lap and holding me while I cried. You see, that's comfort. Discipline was necessary, but that didn't mean comfort shouldn't come. And a good father understands that. And our good father knows that. And so we see that in Isaiah the prophet. And we see it now with the Apostle Paul as he behaves in a very Jesus-like manner, bringing comfort to a people that he has had to discipline, that he has had to use harsh words with, that he has had to challenge. And Paul begins this marvelous letter with a beautiful benediction in verses 3-7. through And so this morning, what I'd really like to do is just kind of sit in here and and work through it and think through it a little bit and consider what it is that Paul is exactly saying. So picking up in verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the beginning of a Jewish prayer, a very Jewish prayer called the Amidah, that they would pray in the synagogue. And in fact, this benediction has such parallels to the very first prayer of the Amidah, which is interesting, but Paul changes it, whereas in the Jewish prayer they would pray, blessed be the God and Father, the God of our, of our father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. No, Paul changes that to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus redeems the language of the prayers. It says, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paraclesis is the word comfort. And paraclesis, right there, it's in the noun form of the word. Comfort as, as a thing. Uh, that is, uh, you could say our portion. Comfort as a portion that God offers us. He gives this, this thing, this noun that we call comfort. Now just keep that in mind that comfort is a thing that He offers because we're going to come back to that idea in just a moment. But the paraclesis, the noun form of comfort, verse 4. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And now the word changes from paraclesis to parakaleo, which is the verb form. Comfort as a noun, comfort as a verb. It is comfort in action. It doesn't just sit there as this thing, as this portion given, but it works in the lives of those who are comforted. It comes to us. It's consolation, comfort, encouragement. That's the word parakaleo, the verb form of paraclesis, comfort. So jot this down. What we see here right out the gate is comfort in practice. 
Comfort in practice. The point of God's active verb form comfort is to comfort someone else. Comfort actively works in our lives that we might actively use comfort or work comfort in other people's lives as well. And that's the way it is with Jesus. That's the thing that the Christians that we are called to, that we are taught to understand, but sometimes we don't translate real well. Sometimes the world doesn't even understand that about Christians, that once we have received comfort, we are to comfort. It's our calling in this world. It's what we're to be about. Have you been loved? Then as a follower of Jesus, love. Have you been given grace? Give grace. Do you know forgiveness? Forgive. That's the way it works with Jesus. That the love given to us, the grace given to us, yes, the comfort given to us in the verb form is for us to act out as well. When you are comforted, comfort others. Take that comfort that you have received, that you've experienced. And note this, Paul writes, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the comfort that I have to offer someone else is not self-generated. It's the comfort that I've already received from God. It's what I know of comfort because God has comforted me. And so I don't come around and and generate some kind of wise wisdom or words that come from my own life experience. Well, when I went through this, this is what I did. No, I comfort with the very words that God has given me. I offer the comfort that He shared with me. What was it? Think this through with me. What was it that God did in your life that brought you comfort? Share that. Pass that along. Offer that. Last week, after second service, I, I was standing in the, in the entryway there talking with a sister. And she was sharing how she was really distressed over a couple of friends. And I'm not going to name her just for confidentiality, but, but concerned about a couple of friends, one who had become an atheist completely and the other one who was really waffling in faith, and all because of some of this junk that was found on the Internet that was seeking to undermine the truth of Scripture to say that the Bible is corrupted. Oh, by the way, I mentioned Isaiah. You know what's amazing about Isaiah? is in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have an exact copy of the entire book of Isaiah from 2,000 years ago. And when compared to our present day translation, word for word, we have like 99% accuracy. What about the 1%? Spelling errors. I'm serious. It's remarkable how absolutely precise... That book is, and I'll tell you, if all you have was the book of Isaiah, you could come to faith in Jesus Christ easily. But those who would seek to undermine the Bible, which in my understanding and after studying now through the Bible over the last decade, my friends, you all know, this is not underminable. This is mineable because there are riches to be found in the Word of God, but you can't knock it off its stand. It's too sure. And if you ever run across things, and I'm totally off my notes here, but if you ever run across things that shake your faith in the Scripture, then stop and go back to the Scripture. And take the time to study and and understand the truth that is there, because there are those, there are false teachers, there are wolves in sheep's clothing who would come along and seek to undermine the truth, though the truth is secure. So we're standing out in the foyer and we're talking and having this conversation and she was just saying, my problem is I don't have the information or the education to answer these things. And then she said this, she said, and it just breaks my heart. And in that moment, the answer came to me, I said, then that's how you reply. You reply to your friends with a broken heart. That's where your gift is. 
That's where your anointing is in these relationships, is your heartache for them. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to give logical response to every single thing, but you can tell them how much you love them and how much you're aching for them. Comfort them with the comfort with which you've received from God. If you've been comforted by God, you can comfort anybody in this world with that same comfort, not something you've made up on your own. I think of Joseph. Genesis 37 through 50. Amazing story about the life of Joseph, and perhaps you're familiar with it, how he as a young man was loved by his father Jacob and hated by his brothers. All of them who just had a deep envy, a deep jealousy of little Joseph who would dare to dream dreams about them and and share these things and think that he was something special just because he had a cool coat. And you know the story that they took Joseph and they, they threw Joseph into a pit and they bloodied the coat, gave that to dad, told him Joseph had been killed by a wild animal and dragged off. And then they traded Joseph into slavery and he was taken down into Egypt and he became a servant in the house of a man named Potiphar. And in that house, he began to rise because God's hand was on him. God was comforting Joseph. And he rose to prominence in that house to the point that Potiphar trusted him with everything except his wife. But his wife didn't seem to understand that. And his wife starts to go after Joseph. I could just tell the whole story. I won't this morning. But she ends up going after him. He spurns her affections. He ends up in jail for it. He finally is released from jail over his, through a series of unfortunate events and ends up in the house of Pharaoh, raised up ultimately to second position over all Egypt. And then his dumb brothers show up. <laughs> After seven years of plenty that, that Joseph prophesied of, knew about, dreamed about. There was then, actually Pharaoh dreamed it, but then there were seven years of famine. Well, famine hit Egypt, but Egypt was prepared thanks to Joseph. Famine also hit Canaan where his family was, and so his brothers come down to Egypt seeking grain, looking for help, and they are brought before Joseph. What a remarkable turn of events. And Joseph sitting on his throne before them, can do anything he wants with those 11 idiots. Now see, that would have been my perspective. Payback time. You want grain? I got some work for you, bros. What does Joseph say? Genesis fifty nineteen. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So listen, so he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How could he do that? He comforted them with the comfort with which he himself had been comforted by God. He just took what he knew of God and offered that forward to his brothers. That's how you do it. Now, back in 2 Corinthians, skip verse 5 and go right on to verse 6. We'll come back to verse 5 in a second. But if we are afflicted, Paul says, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. That's interesting. He doesn't say if we're comforted, it's for your affliction, losers. No, if we're, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. It's always what comes into us, comes out of us as comfort. 
Whatever God does in my life is for me to pass along and to share and to give as comfort. But then he says in verse 7, or before verse 7, where it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer, verse 7, and our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so you are also sharers of our comfort. And that's the dynamic of comfort in practice. That as we practice comfort, we practice it as a fellowship. That we do this together. Now, relationships can get messy, right? Haven't we learned by now that human relationships are the stuff of massive messes? All you need to do is be in a family for a short amount of time, and you know relationships can be messy. And in a larger family, a church family, we don't always get things our way. We don't always see eye to eye. We don't always completely agree. We have to deal with the personalities and the idiosyncrasies of other people. We have to find out where people are and try to meet them where we are. But in our fellowship with other believers, we are called to practice comfort and to comfort one another. Even as we share in our problems and our sufferings and our challenges and our very lives together. Paul writes in Romans 5.3, we exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proving character and proving character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within us in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now I can take that personally that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proving character and proving character hope and hope reminds me of the love of God. I can take that as a personal thing just for me, just for Rick. But Paul says... In that passage, we exult in our tribulations. There is a togetherness in that place of suffering. There is a body dynamic at work. It is comfort in play that we practice comfort on each other. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12.26, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with them. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with them. Comfort and practice. Right here. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to church. Just when you had been hurt in a church setting. Just when you had been bruised by a believer in Jesus. Just when your experience has not been positive in the church setting. God says, hey, there's comfort here. Why don't you come and bring your portion? Why don't you come and comfort others with the comfort with which you have received from God Himself? Come and comfort. Oftentimes we show up at church because we think it's about our experience. And and it is to a degree. I come to learn the Word. I come to worship God. I come to enjoy fellowship. And I go out of here blessed. But we are invited to come and bless We're invited to come and comfort. We're invited. I shared this with our shepherds the other night at our meeting. We're invited to come into this place with the shepherding hat on already. To look for people that we can minister to, one to another. And that's not just a shepherd's role or a pastor's role. It is a family role. 
I would invite you to walk in the door anytime you do. A Sunday, a Wednesday, an activity, or you run into someone in town. It doesn't really matter where. I invite you to have eyes open to say, Lord, how can I be used of you to comfort a brother or sister in Christ Jesus? With the comfort with which I have been comforted by God. It's comfort in practice. And I come and I bring my own, and check this out, it's not only comfort in practice, it's comfort in proportion. Comfort in proportion. Now I told you before, comfort is a thing, it is a noun as well as a verb. It's not just what God does, it's what He gives as a substance itself. Comfort as a noun. A portion of comfort. But I erased that out of my notes early on because I thought, no, it's more than that. It's comfort in proportion. Listen to verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Paul says, yeah, we got an abundance of suffering. Guess what? We have an abundance of comfort. A comfort that overrules the abundance of our suffering is greater than. Comfort is more than a portion. It comes in proportion to every problem, every heartache, every difficulty you face. If there's a problem, there's a comfort that responds. If there's a difficulty, there is comfort to overcome it. If there's heartache, there's comfort there. And there is always more than enough and it never stops. Think about it this way. We have this human tendency. Okay, maybe not you. I have this human tendency to pile up problems. To stack them all up. Again, maybe you've never done this, but it's the end of the day and you say, man, it's been a bad day. When my kids say that anymore, I say, the entire day? I mean, not one good thing happened all day long? From minute to minute, it was just horrible? Wow! Yeah, that would be a bad day. We come in the door, we say, this went wrong and he said that and the other thing fell through. It's just been a bad day. And we pile it all up. And the muck and the mire and the depression just gets deeper and deeper until we're sitting there in the evening swimming in a negative cesspool. (laughs) How about counting up comfort? How about for every negative moment of the day you pause and say, but what did God do in response? How did I get to the other side of that? How much comfort was there given to me in proportion to the discomfort of the day? Comfort comes in proportion. For every discomfort, there is an abundance of comfort. We are abundantly comforted, Paul says, and it's all available in Christ Jesus. That word abundance that he uses here. We comfort out of our abundance of comfort is parasuo, and it means exceeding, overflowing, over the top. Brothers and sisters, the comfort God has to offer is over the top and would flood away and wash out any of the discomfort that we have to go through. It's available in abundance. Same word, by the way, is the word that Jesus used for abundant in John 10.10. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And in fact, our portions of comfort, I would say, are actually disproportionate to our suffering because there's always a far greater supply of comfort. It always supersedes if we are willing to come to the Lord for it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be left to their pathetic mourning. (laughs) Blessed are those who mourn. Why? They shall be comforted. There is comfort there. Even in the mourning, even in the sorrow, there is comfort. And we, listen, we only truly realize this, understand this, in the midst of mourning. And maybe that's the deeper point here. Would you experience and know the comfort of God? You know it best in sorrow. You know the comfort of the Lord best in mourning. Those are the times when it comes and you feel comfort and you shouldn't. But still you are. That somehow, even though there is an ache of mourning, the comfort of God is overwhelming. I think of Jeremiah. Called the weeping prophet, sitting there on the mount across from Jerusalem, watching the city that he loved smolder and burn. And through smoke-filled, tear-stained eyes, Jeremiah wrote, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Written by a man who got up in the morning and watched his city burn. Who had to get up the next morning and see his city in ashes. Who then had to get up the next morning and see what was left, if anything, of that destroyed land. And he said, Great is thy faithfulness. And then he said this, don't miss this, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in Him. And that's where comfort is disproportionate to any sorrow or any suffering, because the portion of comfort that comes to us is the Lord. Is the Lord in and of Himself. Get that, understand that, the Lord is my portion. I'm not just seeking for a piddly amount of comfort to get through the moment or the day. No, the Lord is my portion. Is there any limit then to the comfort of a God who is eternal? The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my comfort. He is comfort personified. And and while we read this and understand that we, we are to take comfort in practice... And that comfort comes in proportion. Number three, most importantly, comfort in person. Comfort comes in person. And by the way, in all three aspects of the person of God. Right here, Paul says very clearly in verse three that God the Father is the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Comfort, again, as a noun. It's it's who He is. It's His nature. It's His character. He is comfort. God the Father. But the Bible also tells us that comfort in the noun sense is also abundant in the person of God, the Son. Did you know that Jesus is called the Comforter? That that actual name is used for Jesus Himself? Luke 2.25 In Luke 2.25 there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Shimon. You may remember old Simeon, old Shimon, there in the temple courts, says this man was righteous and devout, and he was looking for the consolation of Israel, the paraclesis, the comfort. Waiting for, looking for, understanding that Messiah would be the personification of comfort when he came. The comfort of Israel. 
And of course, when old Shimon saw the infant Jesus, he said in Luke 2.29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What had his eyes seen? The Comforter of Israel. Jesus Christ is the Comforter. God the Father is comfort. Jesus is comfort. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But get this, the word advocate is parakletos. We have a comforter with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So God the Father is called the comforter. He is the God of all comfort. Jesus Christ is called the Comforter who comforts us. And thirdly, you know this, Bible students, the Spirit of God Himself is actually named Hoparakletos, the Comforter. The noun form, Paraklesis. The verb form, Parakleto. And then the name, the name Parakletos. The one who comes alongside, the helper, the comforter. Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth. Apostles, he says, it's to your advantage. I go away. I love that. It doesn't seem like it would be. Jesus leaving? No, I want Jesus right here. It's to your advantage, he says, I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. How is that to our advantage? Not to have Jesus sitting right here, right now, in the front row, to comfort us. Well, it's completely to our advantage because at the end of service, we would all go home and Jesus could only go with me. (laughs) How many homes could he get to today or tomorrow or this week if it was Jesus here in the flesh? And yet when he sends the Comforter, the Spirit of God, he goes home with everyone. And so it is to our advantage. The Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit has no other name in the Bible. He is not named anything else. Oh, there are things ascribed to Him. He's called the Spirit of God. He is called the Spirit of your Father, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Holiness. It's always Spirit of, with one exception, the Comforter. It's the only time in Scripture that He is named other than the Spirit of and then described. He is the Comforter. And so it it, it changes everything for me. In fact, the verse we've quoted in here before, Ephesians 5.19. Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not so much a warning against wine as is often used... It's really an offering of genuine comfort. (laughs) It's an offer of true comfort. I was talking to my son Hayden about this the other day. Hayden and I have these great conversations. And we're we're driving back. It was last night. We're driving home. Wind's blowing and everything. And and we're driving. He was telling me about a friend of his who had... uh, It was kind of messed up had some problems and he said dad I don't understand it because her friends all took her out to drink and he said why would you take someone who struggles with that anyway out to drink and I said because son it's all they know because very simply a glass of wine does warm you up a glass of wine would 
numb you a bit. It does work as a self-medication to a degree. Beer would do that. Alcohol does that. But then it dissipates. It goes away. And you wake to the same problems the next day. And I said, Hayden, I know your dad's a pastor, but i got to preach at you here. That's why Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is Himself the Comforter. And if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I am filled with the comfort of God. And that means not only do I rest my head on the pillow at night, falling asleep in the comforting arms of God, but I wake up in the morning and He is still here. The Comforter. And God not only offers comfort in great proportion to sorrow or to mourning, He not only brings comfort so that we might practice comfort, He fills us up with comfort even as He fills us with the Holy Spirit. Understand the dynamic of being filled with the Spirit of God is not just one thing or the other. I mean, sometimes we limit what the Spirit does, but but the mere fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within me means I have comfort dwelling within me wherever I am, whatever I face. Before the sorrow even hits, comfort's already there. Before the difficulty comes around the corner, and I say around the corner because I often don't see it coming, the comfort is already there. And this is how God works. And this is why He says, I want you to be born again. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to come and get baptized in the Spirit. I want to saturate you with my Spirit. Because along with revelation, along with with gifting and anointing to do ministry that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do, along with the awareness of the presence of God comes the comfort of God that is present in the one who is called the Comforter. And He dwells within. We're filled with His Spirit. What does that tell you? It tells you that there is another Comforter. God the Father. Jesus the Son. The Holy Spirit. But there is a fourth personification of comfort. You know who it is? It's you. It is you. Filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If you are filled with the Spirit of comfort, you have become a comforter. And that's exactly where Paul is going with all this. Again, verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundance through Christ. We ourselves comforting others with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. You want to talk about comfort in person? Literally, comfort in your person. You are a walking comforter if indeed you have the Spirit of God. Yeah, but I, I don't have the right words to say. I don't have the right knowledge. I don't have the the years of of Bible study to fully understand what I should say. Do you have a heart? And have you been filled by the Spirit of God? Then you comfort with the comfort with which you yourself have been comforted. Now, Paul is writing from experience here. And you hear these words spilling out. We shared on Wednesday night that this is Paul's perhaps most intimate, most personal letter. He shares more of himself in this letter than in any other. And while I love 2 Timothy as as a beautiful, final, uh, intimate letter of Paul, 2 Corinthians is the one that most scholars say this is it as far as Paul's intimacy is concerned. And his sharing, and it's, it's so rich in relationship. And what Paul is saying right here is our sufferings are abundant in Christ. We are going through tough times here. 
I'm writing you with tears in my eyes, dealing with horrific things that, by the way, are also great opportunities for the Gospel. We know this. We know what we are talking about. And just like Joseph, the sufferer, Paul suffered. Just like Jesus, Paul suffered, but through that suffering is able to offer real comfort in practice, in disproportionate proportion, (laughs) and in person. So understanding all this, how then do we cultivate this comfort? i got to tell you, honestly, when I first was reading through this, I knew this was a section to study. I knew God really wanted us to sit here. It's just its too beautiful a passage to skip on by. But I labored over this in studying it and reading it because I kept coming back to a very superficial conclusion. Comfort people. You know? you got to go comfort folks. And, and I kept asking, God, how do we move beyond the superficial that is so typical uh, in our flesh? How do we get to honest-to-God, grace-filled compassion? How can I learn, Lord, to look someone in the eye offering comfort that they know isn't just words, but comes literally from understanding, that comes from getting it? And there's only one way that I know of. The comfort that Paul is describing here is not a warm blanket or a fluffy pillow. It's not flannels in the wintertime. Though I love them. I do. I love this time of year because I get to start pulling out the flannels and it just, it just, it's my happy place. It's not a pumpkin spice latte. Although that can be comforting to a degree. It's well made. We're not talking about emotional numbing or momentary soothing. The kind of comfort that Paul is describing here and invites us to and calls us to live out is a comfort that only comes directly through suffering. Look at verse 6. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. If you would develop godly compassion, you don't have to go looking for it. Because suffering will find you. It will get to you. If it hasn't already come, I say with encouragement this morning... It will come. If you have not already been hit with suffering in your life, you will be hit by it. But along with it will come godly comfort. If your eyes are open to it, you're waiting to receive that. Because it is the only way to develop the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Look at the contrast. Consider our society that uses everything possible to avoid suffering to skirt hardship, everything from drugs and alcohol to therapy to entertainment, all of that to avoid the very suffering through which God can cultivate comfort. Circle back to verse 4 one more time. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And that word affliction is phlipsis. 
philipsis. It's not an easy word to say. Philipsis in the Greek. And it is the same word translated tribulation. It literally means pressing or, or pressure, dire straits, oppression. There was a church in history that was going through massive flipsis, massive tribulation and suffering. And Jesus sent them a, com- a comforting letter. Listen to what he wrote. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write. Smyrna. Smyrna is from the word myrrh, which is that sweet scent that you get from crushing from crushing the myrrh itself. It must be crushed to release the fragrance. And to Smyrna, the crushed church, Jesus writes, the first and the last who is dead and has come to life, says this. Isn't that marvelous? You think you're suffering? I'm the first and the last who was dead. And I've come to life. So whatever your sorrow is, whatever your affliction, whatever your suffering, understand the one who brings comfort was dead and now alive. And he speaks and he says, I know your tribulation, your philipsis, your affliction. And I know your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. So you will be tested. You're going to have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful, he says, until death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Be faithful, Jesus says, until death. And that is the key to comfort. The key to a comfort that works through you and in you, all through you, such that it begins to work on others, is faithfulness. Endurance. It's seeing the morning through. Don't give up. No matter how bad the affliction may seem, no matter how difficult the sorrow may weigh on a heart, don't. Don't give up, precious brothers and sisters. You hang in there with God. You allow endurance to have its perfect work as God works His comfort in and through you. Romans 15, verse 5, again, May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. And the word encouragement there is comfort. Look at that. It's a powerful combination. The God who gives both perseverance, endurance, and comfort. He brings both. Perseverance and comfort together. If you are suffering right now, If you're a person who feels afflicted right now, please understand that God is offering you this morning a strength of comfort that not only soothes the sorrow, but it brings perseverance. It develops endurance, even in pain. It makes you stronger. I mean, this is true comfort. This is not that light, airy, fluffy stuff that the world offers to try and avoid the deeper sorrow. God goes right into the deeper sorrow and brings His comfort and meets us right there. And that's the kind of comfort that I seek, that I desire, and that I would love to share. This is comfort that is not a weak replacement for pain. It is not a fleeting high or an emotional ease. It's not an edible. This is real comfort. It's deeper And it's richer 
And it can carry you and me through anything that we might be faithful until death. There's a reason that I started off in Isaiah's book of comfort today. A a second reason. Not just the parallels of comfort and, and not just the fact that he ends with such a comforting note. No, it's more than that. It's the fact that in the book of comfort, Isaiah 40 to 66, if you go right to the middle chapter of the book of comfort, you come to Isaiah 53, which is the suffering servant. And in fact, in that chapter, all of the sufferings of Jesus Christ are laid out for us to understand. He says in Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. We ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed, and the cross produced the greatest comfort the world has ever known. Comfort through the sorrow of Christ. That comfort itself is birthed out of, grown out of, the very morning of Jesus, hands pierced, hung up on the cross of Calvary. And in verse 6 of Isaiah 53, he writes, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. You see, even while we were going astray, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And fellow sheep, think back to what was that original comforting promise. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, Like a shepherd, He will tend His flock. And in His arm, He will gather the lambs. He will gather all those sheep who have gone astray. He gathers us together. He will carry them in His bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And if you are in need of comfort this morning, that is the heart of God for you. And you've come to the right place because this is a comforting letter. We get to spend the rest of this fall in comfort. And I'm so thankful for that. And I think the timing must be perfect. God's timing, that we in a tumultuous world might find His comfort, even if we must go through suffering, because even there, our enduring has a sweet and godly purpose. At the last of this letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, chapter 13, verse 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, you spoke those words, comfort, oh comfort my people. And so we bow as recipients, Lord, of your comfort. And I I know among us this morning, there are some in mourning, there are some in sorrow. There will be coming through the door second service. People suffering or hurting or afflicted in one way or another, perhaps of physical ailment, some with mental anguish, others with deep spiritual sorrow, struggling even to understand the person of Jesus and the very thing we're talking about today. So I call upon you, 
to bring your word of comfort today. To comfort, oh comfort your people, God. To cause us to be a people who receive and accept this comfort that you offer and so freely give. And I praise you, God, because you have all this figured out. You have it all worked out. May we, Lord, be strong enough as your people, enduring enough and faithful enough to experience and then be able to offer a comfort that is deep and rich and real. In Jesus' name, amen.